What's going on? And welcome into a game day edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson. Game number five will take place tonight in Phoenix, Arizona. Pelicans and Suns as the Pelicans evened up the series, as we all know, on Sunday night, 118 to 103. Let's see if the Pelicans can try to steal home court away from Phoenix tonight. And to help us preview tonight's game is uh, Sean Kelly. Of course, you know him being the former voice of Pelicans Radio Network and now on ESPN Radio. And he'll be on the call tonight with Corey Alexander. Sean, you've been the good luck charm for the Pelicans here since the playing round. I expect the same. No pressure, but we're relying on you tonight. I think I think uh, the Pelicans are 2-0 and in games that I've called for ESPN Radio this year. So uh, let's let's keep it going. Why not? Absolutely. Let's talk about this run for the Pelicans because, again, I don't think a lot of people expected there to be a game, potentially game five, and, and heck, even a game six that will happen on Thursday in New Orleans. You're able to call – there are two play-in games between the Spurs and, and the Clippers. And then you, you were calling game two, right? You called game two's win in Phoenix? Uh, no, I did not. This will be my first time with them back since uh, the Browns started. Okay, hence the 2-0. and oh. That's why I'm lacking sleeping, can't do the math. So, anyways, <laughs> what has stuck out to you about this team ever since you're, the play-in and, and where they are now here for game five? Well, they're fearless. Let's start with that because I think they're one of a couple teams in this opening round of the playoffs that – Maybe they just don't even know what they're doing or what they're supposed to do or not do. And, and, and that's a sign of a young team. And it's also a sign of a team that, you know, has been able to kind of put the blinders on or at least the, the earplugs in and, and not pay attention to what a lot of us nationally have been saying about the New Orleans Pelicans. But look, it, it is amazing how in this first year, how the fingerprint of Willie Green and the culture that he's been able to put in place has happened so quickly and it's come really at the right time and you can sense that kind of down the stretch of the regular season certainly I saw it in person myself uh, during the play-in tournament Uh, and and if you want to put an even more specific note on it it's really the comeback against the Clippers that I think sets the scene for what New Orleans has done in this series against the Suns in that um, they don't seem to flinch when things aren't going well uh, they they have this mentality that, look, we can get it done even if it doesn't seem like it's supposed to be done in any particular game. And and, and now they've figured out how to play out in front a little bit. And, and that was, I think, another big step that we saw in game four was that having a lead and, and padding it just, just enough to get to the fourth quarter and then making the adjustment they did on Chris Paul. I think that was another lesson learned. And, and I think it evens the scales a touch more as you go into now what has become a best of three. Devin Booker being out obviously is a big factor for the Phoenix Suns, but are you surprised that this series is tied up at two, even with the fact that Devin Booker's out? This is still a 64 win team in the regular season. Yeah, I am a little bit. I, I, I don't want to concede the Devin Booker thing just yet because I think it is more than significant. And I, I fear sometimes that when it is as big of a factor as it is, that all we're going to hear nationally is, well, the Pelicans aren't in the situation if Devin Booker's playing. I, I'm not so sure I buy all the way into that, um, but I know this. With Devin Booker, as you mentioned, they were the most dominant team in the NBA all regular season. I had them several times in person. Uh, I hadn't seen a team do things like they do in a long time as far as dominating an opponent or uh, defending the way that they do and then having multiple ways to score the basketball. So there's a reason why, and I think it's what, they were eight games better than everybody else. Uh, they were they were just as good on the road as they were at home. Um, this is still, to me, one of the top three teams in the NBA. I was, you know, I was asked just the other day if I had them still kind of like number one in a 
kind of a power ranking. And I said, well, no Devin Booker, no number one. I might put, you know, Golden State maybe in that in that slot. And then and then a Phoenix, and then I would probably muddy the waters for three, four, five, because you know, Boston's gonna be in that conversation as well. And um, uh, let's not count out the defending champs themselves. I think Milwaukee still has a lot to say about how this postseason goes too. But this this Phoenix team, I think, should still be favored to win this series, although they find themselves in a situation that they didn't quite expect. Um, they're not going to get the rest that they were hoping for going to round two because the Pelicans now have pushed them at least till Friday. So all those things play into it. But, you know, I I still think they're the team to beat in the tournament, even without Devin Booker. Um, but the Pelicans sure are making this quite interesting. And and look, I, I, as crazy as the NBA season was, and college basketball too, if the Pelicans were to win this series, I, I don't think I would be all that stunned. Um, and I think that there are some other series around the league right now that might surprise some individuals. But then again, if you just kind of follow the season and how it went, perhaps you shouldn't be. And we all know this, as we're finding out in this series, Daniel, any team is one injury or two away from being completely different than that we thought they were. Yeah, absolutely. We'll see how the Sixers go. Joel Embiid is going to be playing, but with that ligament and that thumb, it might be a different Joel Embiid that we get um, in the rest of this first round and who knows after. We'll get to some of that in a little bit later on as far as what series has really stuck out to you the most. But I want to go back to Phoenix before I head back to New Orleans. And we talked about, again, Chris Paul being limited. And basically the two losses for Phoenix have been Chris Paul being limited in those two wins. It's been Chris Paul taking over in the fourth. But what else has to change for Phoenix in order to, to keep this series alive and they and move on to the next one? Because they didn't get, they haven't hit a lot of threes in these last couple of games. Is it just a factor of getting other guys to score, or is there a little bit more to that? I think Mikel Bridges has to be more of what we saw during the regular season, a real true three and D guy for the Phoenix Suns. And, and maybe it's lacking more on the offensive end of things right now. But, you know, one thing that the Pelicans have done very well is that's kind of keeping the game out of the half court at times. They've, they're not necessarily a, you know, a run and gun team, but yet they really do push it up the floor and long outlet passes. And, and you're able to get deeper into the possession before Phoenix can say, get set defensively. And I think that's been successful. And then the rebounding story is, is remarkable. The numbers that Valanciunas is putting up and, and, and how now Larry Nance has come in to, to help this team. And that dates back to that Friday night against the Los Angeles Clippers and how big he was in that second play-in game. Jackson Hayes too, if if you know he can find his way to stay on the floor maybe a little bit longer. But the the rebounding advantage that New Orleans has had is is maybe a little bit of a surprise to me. In that with a guy like Aiton, that would counter it somewhat. But the team rebounding for Phoenix has not been all that strong. And and like I said, you know Bridges has got to be better. In, uh, in the scoring situation. And then obviously with Booker out, can they get something more from, from one of the cams, either you know Cameron Payne or Cameron Johnson to help, um, I guess, keep pressure off of either A, Aiton or like the Pelicans showed the fourth quarter of the other night, the ability to trap Paul and, and no one else can make them pay for doing that. You talk about that Clippers playing win for the Pelicans. And I think it's safe to say Brandon Ingram really shined in that game almost with the triple-double with the 37 points and now three straight games with 30 or more points, which hasn't happened in Pelicans playoff history. What have you seen from him that, that is, as really, I mean, I feel like a lot of people are starting to recognize nationally what Brandon Ingram's capable of doing. I know you've probably seen it beforehand, but what, what is 
what is so special about what B.I. has been able to do for this Pelicans team in his playoff debut? He hasn't been in the playoffs in his first five seasons in the NBA. Yeah, well, I mean, it seems like everybody on that roster seemingly has never been in the postseason right. before. and they, they seem undaunted by that. Um, I think that Ingram's comfort with Willie Green is really now, you know, the fruits of that have really started to come forth. I said, I said right before the play-in, I think it was, that don't laugh at me here, but Ingram might be kind of a baby Kevin Durant, just yeah. not just the build, but sometimes the unguardable shot or, or now his ability to get to his favorite spots. And, and now all of a sudden people have started to kind of make that comparison. And again, Brandon Ingram is not Kevin Durant. Um, could he be? Well, I don't know, maybe, but y- you can't help but draw some similarities between the way the two of them score the basketball right now. And and Ingram has also found a way, I, and I saw it in game four a little bit, that, you know, miss shot, go chase down your miss, or draw a bunch of attention and then make the right play as well. And so I think that's come back to help him. If, you know, if he's able to make the right play, he may get another chance during the same possession, or it may change the defense to where Ingram gets the shot he wants on the next trip down the floor because he made the right play on the previous trip. Um, I think he had Andrew Lopez on yesterday's program and, and and he spoke to the historical significance of what Ingram's doing right now. And it's, it's remarkable. And, and to see him now, I think truly be the offensive and scoring leader and not having to worry so much about being the leader in so many other facets that CJ McCollum has been able to kind of come in and, and do for this club on and off the floor. Um, I, I just think it's made him a more comfortable uh, player and uh, therefore he's been a killer here to the first four. Yeah. And, and CJ has been putting up some numbers, but not as efficient as you would like here. And so you've been able to be two, two without really having a lot of CJ's best performances out there. But I feel like in this situation, not only with Brandon, but with CJ, I think it's helped some of these young guys step into the roles that they've been able to have Herb Jones. You saw the three blocks on three, three pointers last night or on Sunday night, I should say. And then the same with Jose Alvarado getting into it with Chris Paul. I mean, you have some rookies here. I think getting the help of CJ and guys like B.I. make feel more comfortable and really show that this, this stage is not too big for them. Well, there's a trust. There's a real trust that you can tell amongst coaching staff and players and then players amongst themselves. And so, yes, I think that we're finding that guys have really found their role and, and are excelling in that. But I think they're able to trust each other in that. I don't care if you've been here, you know, six months or you've been in this league for six years. Um, we really don't care where it came from or how long you've been doing this, or if this is your first postseason or not go be you. I think that's the thing about the Pelicans. They really are the, they, they have found a way to be themselves basketball wise. And that's allowed for, I think this thriving culture on and off the floor for them. And that trust, like I said, of knowing that, um, you know, B, I can go get big numbers for the Pelicans or, hey, look, uh, we've got these guys and Herbert Jones and Jose Alvarado that can go harass the daylights out of a Chris Paul. Or if if they know that we have their back, they can be more aggressive defensively and we can kind of sit back and play secondary to them. And so all those things are in play right now for the Pelicans. And that's why they're awfully dangerous, too. Are you surprised by the physicality you've seen just from the Pelicans kind of responding? Because it looked like early on it was the Suns that were setting the tone. The Jay Crowder incident with Jackson Hayes, you saw maybe in game three is, oh, they may not be able to control their emotions. 
Maybe this is a young team that's letting a guy like Jay Crowder or Chris Paul instigate you. And then game four, it seemed like it flipped the switch. Are you kind of surprised that just so quickly it, it looked like Herb Jones, Jose Alvarado, and those guys were, were kind of in control and kind of set the tone as far as the physicality in game number four? No, I, you know, I, I think this goes back to what I said earlier. I just don't think the Pelicans know any better. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I just, I don't think they're daunted by the moment or if they know that they're supposed to behave a certain way or let's be physical or not. Um, I thought it was really important. And I watched the television broadcast of game four and they zeroed in on kind of, you know, another great Willie Green message late in that ball game, which was, you know, poise, you know, clearly the Suns were frustrated and rattled. You know, New Orleans can't get sucked into that, having not been in that spot or this spot before. And he was very, very um, outspoken to his players about the poise that they were going to need to finish that game. And, and look, that's going to be moving forward, too, because now at a best of three, these moments are going to become even more heightened. And you or them are eventually going to be in an elimination situation. And I just saw it with the Denver Nuggets the other, the other day in that the whole dynamic changes when you back a team into a corner and it's either you either win today or tonight uh, or it's over. And so, therefore, the physical play is going to go up, the, the, the kind of the taunting or the baiting, which, you know, Crowder's very good at, all those things are going to be more prevalent than you've even seen in the last couple of games in the series. Are the Suns being put kind of in that corner there by the Pelicans, knowing just the, the pressure of them being a team that went to the NBA Finals last year, trying to get Chris Paul that – that first ring and kind of just what the expectations were. Do you feel like even though it is two, two and the Suns still have two of the three home games, if it gets to a game seven, but do you feel like they're the ones that are kind of been pushed back into that corner a little bit? Is the pressure more on them? Cause it feels like with the Pelicans as an eighth seed, it, it's kind of a, a nothing to lose situation. Or do you feel like the Suns are still fully confident that, Hey, they can turn this around and pull this off. Yeah. I, I think they're still fully confident. I, I don't sense the pressure on them yet. Let's not forget. They still have home floor advantage in this best of three. They get, they get the ball game tonight, and and of course, yes, it's going back to New Orleans later in the week. But it, it, if need be, it, it it does come back here to Phoenix, and they still have home floor advantage. This is a team that you know went up 2-0 in a series last year. They're two wins away from winning it all, and and they saw it fall apart. And then they had the regular season that they did, uh, basically checking every box you could think of for a, for an elite team. And so, whether it be their veteran leadership, and I guess I'm talking about Chris Paul primarily, but you know, a, a, head, a steadying head coach in, in Monty Williams. I just, I don't, se- I don't sense that they're in any kind of a panic mode right now or feel that they've been, as you, as you put it, pushed into a corner just yet by New Orleans. Now, look, if the Pelicans win tonight, yeah, now, now, now we're into that corner uh, and, and now they've got to go back to New Orleans and, and all this conversation changes by the end of tonight's play. When you're doing your prep work for tonight and getting ready, what is tonight's game going to come down to for either side? I know free throw disparity is something that was on the mind of Monty Williams and Chris Paul after the game, but what does this come down to tonight in a game five that um, will kind of set the tone for the rest of the series as far as where where it goes? Hit shots. Let's, let's start with that. By the way, the free throw thing, yes. Lopsided worth noting. Look, uh, Phoenix was a jump shooting team in game four. And I've done enough games over the years, and I've done enough New Orleans games over the years to know that um, if you don't attack the basket, you're, you're just not going to draw the contact or get yourself into a free throw opportunity. So that plays into it somewhat. Um, that number will tighten. You, you can count on that starting with game five tonight. But this goes all back to hitting shots. And that's what I was really concerned with kind of through the first half in game four 
And sure enough, the Suns take a lead in the locker room because New Orleans is not hitting the shots they did in their game to win. I mean, they shot so far over what we've seen all year with regard to the three-pointer. Um, I was concerned that that was a bit of an anomaly. Now, the way they were aggressive and had a great third quarter again, that kind of washed away some of that fear for me in watching the Pelicans in game four. But here as we kind of, again, get into these, these final three, this best of three, and then on the road here tonight, they've got to hit shots um, and do so not quite maybe at the game two clip, but, but certainly close. Brandon Ingram's going to have to stay on the gas. I mean, in order for the eight seed to defeat the one, you know, Brandon's going to have to be a superstar the whole way through, you know, fifth game, sixth game, seventh if necessary, that kind of a thing. And then you, you noted CJ McCollum earlier. I think that he has to kind of step up and, and give us somewhat of the show that he did in that first play in game against the San Antonio Spurs and, and don't stop rebounding the basketball. Do not stop. That's been a weapon for New Orleans here, and it's, and it's going to have to be something that helps them equalize the floor against an elite team. All right. Look, I've been tracking you for the last couple of weeks, and it's been where in the world is Sean Kelly or where in the country is Sean Kelly with all the games you've been able to do from Denver to Philadelphia, sea to shining sea. Out of all your games you've been able to do over the past week, has there been a series or a team that's either – caught your eye, surprised you a series. You're like, wow, I didn't see this coming. I, I guess through the first couple of weeks of the playoffs here, what, what's been key to you? Well, I've had two games in that Golden State Denver series. Now I had game one. That was kind of the Jordan pool postseason coming out party that started that. And then I, I had just the other day on a, on Sunday, I had game four. And Denver was the team backed in their, into a corner and kind of checked a lot of things off on their pregame list in order to stay alive in that series. But not that I thought that Golden State would sweep, not that I um, even thought that, you know, they would have any trouble in the first round. I didn't think they would race out to the lead they did in that series and look as good as they have because they've had so many pieces kind of in and out of their lineup all season long. And to see that, that core group, and again, they've won championships together, but to see that core group kind of click so, you know, right away. And, and then you add the Jordan pool factor in and, and nobody's really talking about Wiggins. Who's kind of also been a nice complimentary piece, maybe more complimentary than he was a leader pre all-star, but that golden state team has a very real chance of, of winning the whole thing. And they're defending again, like they were uh, back earlier in the season when they were one or two in defense, defensive efficiency. Um, other than that, I'm shocked that Brooklyn has been as bad as they have, um, you know, through this first round. Boston is is exactly who I thought they would be defensively, and now they've got Robert Williams back. But, you know, the other interesting thing is that we now uh, have kind of three series in the West in the balance, whether they be right at each other, 2-2 two, two, now, 3-2 in some cases. Uh, obviously, this this series that we've talked about today between New Orleans and Phoenix, that gets in that situation. And so um, those are tight. And uh, the other the other freaky thing was I had the uh, Memphis at Minnesota game when many our Minnesota coughed up two different 25 point leads and Memphis goes on to win that game. I, I don't know if in the whatever couple thousand NBA games I've done, I've ever had a great a game as crazy as that in the, in the sense of the wild swings in that game, but very much like new Orleans, that Memphis Minnesota series has two teams that really don't know what they're doing or what they're supposed to be doing, but are highly talented and young and unpredictable. And so that one to me is, is, a, is pick them at this point.
And that's what makes the playoffs so great. You just never know what you're going to get on a night in and night out basis. Sean Kelly, he'll be on the call tonight for Pelicans and Suns game number five on ESPN radio with Corey Alexander. Now, Sean, I appreciate the time again. If you're able to help the Pelicans get a win, not by anything you're doing, but calling the game, we'll be writing your bosses tomorrow, making sure that you are on every single Pelicans game the rest of the way. So we're going to ride that train as far as it'll take us. I think the petition you would put out would gain a few signatures if it was as simple as me being in the building meant to win for New Orleans. So uh, good luck with that, that, that petition and, uh, and with my bosses. I do, hey, if you don't mind, I want to throw one compliment uh, to the Pelicans fans. I, I ran into Zach Zarba on Sunday in Denver. He had that Nuggets Golden State game. He was the crew chief um, in, I guess it was, I'm trying to think which game he had in the New Orleans series. Was it, it was Friday, uh, Friday night, right, I guess it was. Yep. Right, game three. And, and Zach and I have known each other for a long time, and so we were talking before the game. And he said, you cannot imagine how electric that building was in New Orleans the other night. You know, just as an official and, and somebody who goes to all the buildings in the league and, and is probably one of the top three or four officials in the league, um, he made a point to tell me how electric that atmosphere was, how intense it was, um, and really, uh, as they say, we're, he was throwing flowers at the, at the Pelicans faithful as far as, you know, the, the type of atmosphere that they produced for that ball game. So uh, that's, that's not a normal source that I would get with regard to, Hey, tell me what it was like in New Orleans the other night. He offered it up himself and that's what he said. And so I wanted Pelicans fans to know that uh, it was very much noticed uh, as to what they did at home. Absolutely. That's a great way to end the show as Pelicans fans have been showing up for these last two games. It's been hard to hear those ref whistles for the last couple of games with how loud it's been. I haven't been able to hear them from some of them and either have, Todd and JD. So definitely the crowd has shown up and we'll see if they can do so again on Thursday in game six. We'll see how tonight goes. Again, you can listen to Sean and Corey Alexander on ESPN radio. Sean, I appreciate the time. Good chopping it up with you here on a podcast. So you kind of helped build with the black and blue report back when we had it five days a week talking saints and Pelicans. So I appreciate you coming back on and sharing some info about tonight's game. Well, your guest list took a major hit with me today and I apologize for that. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Listeners will go up after today's show. That's Sean Kelly. (laughs) Pelicans and Suns tonight. Join us at Manning's Watch Party. I'll have pregame for you at 8 o'clock from there. And then Pelicans and Suns at 9. Valley Sports, New Orleans, TNT, and ESPN Radio. Until another show for Wednesday or Thursday, I'm Daniel Sowers, and thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by CQ.